This is Foreign Exchanges by Neom. What's next in modern money movement, one global conversation at a time. Hello, and welcome to Forward Exchanges from Neom. We know you're trying to stay on top of fast emerging changes in global payments when it's all you can do to keep up with your day-to-day challenges. Hi, I'm Siobhan O'Neill Schwenk, and on this podcast, we are joined by trailblazers and veteran players to investigate the real driving forces that are modernizing money movement and what's building or blocking its momentum around the world. Whether you're new to global payments, a digital transformation veteran, or you just want to hear some great advice on what strategies create momentum in the global digital payments revolution, then this is the podcast for you. Today, I am joined by some very special guests, Gabriel Grisham, Vice President and Head of U.S. Business Development at Neom, and Pedro Barros, VP of Finance at Remote. The pair are here today to give us a look into some of the ways that the future of work is actually already here using a familiar incentive, getting paid. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. I I could ask each of you about your roles or your biggest accomplishments, but I think for a lot of our listeners, you need no introduction. So I'm going to ask you something else instead, something that I think is a little more interesting. So global and remote worker, where both of you have been cutting your teeth for about 20 years. So what's the most formidable opponent that you faced in this space? Gabriel, I'm going to start with you. Thanks, Siobhan. So good question. The the biggest dragon, I think, when it comes to global payments, including payroll, is really around education and and understanding what's possible today. The markets move pretty quickly, but people are very used to wire transfers. And I have a lot of conversations with potential clients and current clients, and it's always about, here's what's next, here's what's happening and you have assumptions that get made on the other side of the table, if you will, even if it's virtual, where it's it's just like I hear, oh, we have that already. And it's like, well, do you have real-time payments? Do you have a way to get your money and know that you've gotten your money within, you know, whether you're the sender or the receiver, making that efficient and making that visible from a transaction status standpoint? It's always the education around what is a real-time payment? How does that get there? How do I see it? How do I know it's getting there? If I'm the res- if I'm the sender, I send wire transfers. Okay, that's great. That's a solution. It's decades old, but that's usually the biggest one. It is really around. We can pay to a card. We can pay to a bank account. We can. There are all these different possibilities out there that you probably actually don't have today. Pedro, what dragons have you been slaying lately? Quite a few, I hear. Quite a few, exactly. So as, as you know, remote went from zero to a lot in, in three years, less, more than a thousand people. But clearly in the, in the, in the space and the payroll processing and payment processing, uh, the biggest uh, dragon has been the, the sheer number of countries where we are present. We are operational in 65 countries. So going from zero to 65 in, in, in such a short period of time, was tremendously challenging. Um, the intricacies of each market, the details, uh, the considerations, just getting payment solutions locally, it's uh, it's incredible, di- incredibly difficult. 
And we have high expectations from our customers and our employees. Like no one uh, likes having their payroll paid late or uh, not with, without accuracy. So the standards are very, very high and the expectations are tremendous. And uh, our ambition is to fulfill those uh, the best way possible. All right. I'm going to get right to it. So I was reading a 2019 MasterCard survey and it revealed that unpredictable payments are among the most common reasons for independent workers of all kinds to switch employers and present company excluded, Gabriel. I can attest to this among my fellow freelancers for sure. When paying us gets that difficult, we head for the nearest exit. <laughs> We're out of here. And we look for, and, and they look for customers and clients that can pay in full on time. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with freelancers. Oh my God, I have to wait for 90 days. And I thought it was just a few of us, but what this report is telling me is that what I'm hearing is not a fluke and there's a much bigger issue at work here. And this isn't just about payments. This is, this is a huge drain on human capital. Gabriel, what is going on here? Well, a, a couple of things and Pedro alluded to the first one is just the expectation, right? It's money that you're earning and you expect it to be paid on time that, you know, if, if you have things going out the door, you have expenses and you have an expectation and I'm going to get paid on whether it's the 15th and the 30th or it's the 30th or it's every week or it's every day. You expect that money to be coming in. So that's the one thing on, on, on one side, you have the expectation that, you know, it's a required payment that you freelancers really need to receive. On the other side is the, the complexity that comes with international payroll and sending money from one specific country to 50 countries or 65 countries, it becomes, as soon as you go from one to two, really, it's not even, as soon as you cross a currency, as soon as you cross a border, it becomes far more complicated. And that's really because you have a number of components. First, you've got bank communication, you know, wires in the SWIFT network, the traditional method that works, but it's three to five days and unknown costs associated with it. Then you've got currency exchange and you've got, you know, there's, if, if, if I'm receiving say euros, but the company paying me is in dollars, you know, when does that currency conversion happen? And how does the company sending the payment know that I'm actually receiving the money I expect to receive? So you've got timing, you've got cost, you've got an exchange rate that's constantly fluctuating. And so it becomes in a way, you know, again, expectation versus availability to deliver. And so what we've done at Neom, just a quick plug, is that we have our own, what you could call, you know, a, an alternative to the SWIFT network where everything comes out with a local delivery rail and you can know exactly how much it's going to cost you up front. And so that becomes much more powerful, especially on the recipient end when you're getting, I mean, just think about it in the United States, when you're getting paid via ACH, that's essentially free. If you're getting paid via wire, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm out X amount of dollars, whether it's 15 or it's 45, it depends on your bank. And banks can do their own thing with when it comes to FX rates, when they're converting and whatnot. So that's at a high level, that's really what's happening is that it's you've got an expectation that it's got to get there. I need the money in my bank account on the 30th or the 31st. And then I need the right amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Pedro, to you, Remote says that they're on a mission to open the world of work for every person, business, and country, and doing that by simplifying how businesses employ global talent. And that starts, obviously, with payroll. It starts with everybody getting paid. What's your take on this, uh, on that data point? It, it, it surprised me, but maybe it doesn't surprise you as much. No, it doesn't surprise at all. And I think Hukari will allude to that. And I, I mentioned that earlier. It's like there are very high expectations, but uh, most of the banking system, apart from new new players like Neom and others that are uh, bringing uh, a revolution on top of it, is very outdated and it's very old wires. No one knows where it went through. People take their cut. <laughs> so how do you get, how do you know by the end of the the full transaction you get the full amount? It's mind blowing that it's still that way in a lot of the transactions that that we see. And uh, obviously we have the the duty to make sure that we find the best partners to to work with to to optimize how our employees and companies uh, are, are paying and being paid. As I mentioned, both on time but with a high uh, efficiency, not only on cost, but also on the timing and reliability. What you don't want is money getting lost, and that happens. I was quite taken by something that Yab, who's the founder and CEO at Remote, said in your Remote Connect session that you hosted, I listened to the other day, and he's, you were talking about payroll as the entry to fintech. And he said that before Remote had tried to implement remote payroll, that he didn't actually appreciate how hard it is to make sure that money gets where it's supposed to be across borders, banks, financial instruments. And he said that it was much more difficult than he anticipated. And then if you hadn't relied on fintech, you wouldn't have been able to do so. You wouldn't have been able to make those expectations work. Tell me at a high level what some of the barriers to entry here in payroll and and payments have been for remote that perhaps our listeners might not have thought about. Most of the payments on payroll are done locally. So just the complexity of phoning uh, of, or, or having your own local account, if sometimes even a payroll account, and what are the details of the files that you need to work with, which differs country by country, to just process the payment, it's, it's immense. And uh, the probability of error is, is gigantic. And uh, we are here to, to, to make sure that uh, we reduce that. And bringing the technology layer on something that, uh, as I mentioned, is a very outdated infrastructure globally, it's what will solve us. Uh, it will solve this, this challenge. Um, so FinTech is the key. For, for enabling payroll. Uh, payroll stimulates a lot of the financial technology that we need to bring. And the two together are solving massive a massive problem, which is how do you move capital around the world in an efficient manner? Gabriel, I know that doesn't surprise you. I see you nodding. I was talking about remote barriers to entry. What for you have been some interesting thorns, if you have any, that you've tried to tried to pull out or any problems that you've had to solve? Really, if you want to boil it down, it goes to the availability of the internet, first and foremost. You know, fintech doesn't exist without broadband, and you can't do, you know, something like what Neon does without, you know, a high connectivity rate and, and high success rates, and the ability for both senders and receivers to have access to all that information in, in near real time. So when you get into now the international 
money movement, as Pedro alluded to, it gets very complex, especially country to country. Every country has a different set of regulations. And then you've got taxes that you have to include in, into the equation, especially for full-time employees. When there's one thing for a, like a gig economy or you know just somebody that's a, the equivalent of a 1099 worker, and then you've got a full-time employee where now you've got local taxes that you have to pay. So in that case, in some countries, the requirement is that it gets paid from a local bank account. That way, taxes can get either pulled from that local bank account or the, they have information regarding that transfer and what that, what that looks like. And so it becomes much more complicated, especially not just international money remittance for any reason. When it comes to payroll, now you have added layers of complexity on top of it that come into play where you just have to comply with. There's no getting around it. These are government regulations. Everybody wants their cut. And that includes taxes, of course. So it doesn't, no, it doesn't surprise me. And it, it's, it's something that we've been dealing with at NIEM for a long time. Pedro, you, you were talking about this with IBS Intelligence recently about how complex the classification and the tax implications of remote work are. And not to mention preserving the business's fiscal resiliency. You know, what are our cash reserves? What's our cash flow? It just adds exponential complexity and how massive an undertaking this is for any global organization. What do you think any financial leader should be aware of? I ask you this from your perspective on the finance team. What do you think any financial leader should be aware of as their organization sort of starts to lurch headlong into the world of remote hiring? In the end, remote exists because there was there was a need. <laughs> there was a huge complexity in dealing with global taxation, intercompany and intercountry taxation, local taxation, your permanent establishment exposure, the qualification or misqualification of your employees in the in the country. Either, as you mentioned, is a ten ninety nine or a W two. It's uh, it differs massively and can expose you to to a high risk of misqualification in the country. So when you are building and uh, enabling your team to to work distributed or remotely, uh, as you may call it, it's super important that you understand what is the, the, your level of understanding, but also what is your risk uh, your risk appetite. So I see some companies very wild and we employ everyone as a contractor anywhere wherever i'm like okay that may not be the safest option in the world but uh, and you have others that uh, are much more conscious uh, or are public companies and have a different level of of, of risk risk appetite and awareness and uh, are really really careful in how they expand internationally and do a deep assessment and deep qualification and due diligence of their partners like remote or others how do they treat local taxation if they hire as a contractor what are the benefits or risks versus an employee what will are they exposed to permanent establishment or what's the risk of being exposed and what uh, issues what are the mitigants so there is a very it goes very very deep in terms of what is uh, your risk exposure and remote exists exactly to enable that you have an, another layer which is how you deal with your employees uh, do you want equity and uh, everyone is treated the same way as employees with access to benefits, social security and protection? 
or do you want to have a much looser relationship and is a contractor and each one is responsible for their own taxation locally? Um, then it's uh, there are several uh, ways of looking at the challenge, but none of them are easy. But uh, I think companies are getting increasingly more mature on this. And uh, you have some established players like Remote that are really enabling the companies, not only from an operational, but also from a strategic perspective. Pedro, are there geographies maybe that have been more active in this space or any specific interesting developments in certain countries or cooperations between certain countries, for example, for technology companies like yourselves? Or is it coming from some surprising places or maybe not so surprising if you know where to look? In terms of uh, exposure to, to global uh, employment, I think you have very qualified workers that locally don't have access to, to really good jobs or to, to good companies, but they have the qualifications. So this movement has enabled folks uh, in many different countries to, to have better jobs. And that's a big part of our mission. In terms of uh, geographies that have increasingly been enabling this, this movement, Governments take a long, long time to catch up with uh, with these socioeconomic uh, movements. And uh, finally, some are uh, catching up, either because they had a huge impact in their GDP because they were overexposed to tourism, for example, which went really down and they had to turn very quickly into how to attract folks to really move to, to the country and work from there. And others because they have a, a very interesting early stage startup agenda uh, and are enabling this with uh, with the startup visas and uh, nomad visas, and um, it's working quite well. And you have examples like Portugal, uh, Mali, uh, Barbados. Well, I think was one of the first uh, uh, geography countries, uh, if you mean, to launch uh, these these technology visa at the time, maybe two years ago by now. So some countries had to quickly turn around. Gabriel, one of the you, when you and I were talking the other day, you were talking about the experience that you've had in the Philippines. I was wondering if you could provide some context to that because I th- I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so at Neom, we get lots of requests, lots of times around where can we make payouts to, and how fast, and you know, how does it get there. And one of the common requests is actually for the Philippines. It's interesting. I hadn't heard the nomad visa nomenclature Pedro before, but that's a good one. When it comes to a global workforce and the ability now to hire anybody from just about anywhere, as well as for any individual to work for a company, no matter what country they're in or what country that company is in, is an incredibly powerful thing. There are complications, but the opportunity on both sides, one for the company to get access to a skilled labor force that can be global, as well as that individual that wants to, you know, if you're in the Philippines or you're in Mexico or you're in Spain, and you can work for a company that is actually headquartered anywhere around the world is incredibly powerful. So, but Back to the Philippines, yeah, lots of requests for that. Lots of requests for, can we pay out there? Can we pay there efficiently? Can it be same day? Can we pay to a card? Can we create our own card and pay? You know, have our own card that we send to that individual? A lot of requests there, and it's only grown over the last, you know, this has always been moving, of course, with the recent state of the 
globe, it moved a bit faster, but yeah, a lot, a lot of demand there. In the interest of full disclosure, on today's episode, we originally had talked about focusing on the quickly evolving gig economy, but it feels like there's something so much bigger happening here, which is why we started talking about remote work and aggregate. And when a lot of people think of the gig economy, they think of companies like DoorDash or Uber, but I'm thinking of the of Morgan Stanley's new report titled The Multi-Earner Era, as well as this recent explosion in contract and digital nomad, for lack of a better term. And I think I'm just going to call it work every which where, for lack of a better term. Gabriel, what are your thoughts on how the gig economy or work everywhere has expanded in recent years and the role that the pandemic's obvious forced shift to remote work has played in that effort? So let's go back five, 10 years. Yes, it was the Ubers, the DoorDashes, you know, I've got my nine to five and then I can go do something else on the side and make a little bit more money and be a little bit of a freelancer. Fast forward to today, I think that you've got just at the individual level, if I want to go out and I want to make money, where can I do that? And I can do that on at least 10, if not 20 or 30 different platforms. I can be a social media influencer. I can create music. I can sell you know, a consulting service. And my customer base is a global customer base as well. And then you take that you know, at the entry level, of course, you can go drive for Uber or be on DoorDash. And then you can go all the way up. And if you're a, if you're an expert in finance and you want to be a CFO, you could be a CFO freelancer and work for five different companies. It's gone that broad, that quickly, you know, this started, this didn't start two years ago. This started probably 10, 20 years ago with people starting to think like, you know, how do I make money for myself and where do I want to go and what do I want to do? And Fast forward to today, it's anybody and everybody that, that wants to figure out a way to, whether it's have a better lifestyle or do what they love and, and not be locked into the local company or the local factory or the local whatever. And if they if you have access to, to broadband internet, it's one of those things where now something that wasn't even possible 20 years ago becomes not easy, but attainable pretty quickly. And so if you're an individual out there and you're looking for the next thing, spend some time, spend, you know, find the right, whether it's an employer or the right, right way to make money, make sure that you can get paid, of course. But it's, it, it's an exciting time, I think. I think it's, it, and it's not going back. I don't see it going back ever. Pedro, are there any through lines that you've observed in the global talent and remote workforce economy that either transcend borders or are starting to? I think Transcend Borders is the theme of the, a lot of the remote, uh, the, some of the remote movement, which is folks that want to be free from a physical space, but they, they are excited about the job they have, the work they do, but uh, they are not attached to, to, to an office or to a place and they want to make the best of their time uh, on earth and, and really experience different places, different cultures. Uh, expose themselves to different challenges by moving abroad or moving uh, very frequently to other places, but also take the opportunity of, of experiencing new cultures and uh, something that could be better for them. And I think all this movement has been gaining a lot of traction 
To be fair, and I, I have experienced this, Remote is a, is a, is a remote-first company, fully distributed. And I live in, in a dream place uh, in my garden. I have my nice, my nice little office. And uh, I, I didn't want to be anywhere else. And but I love my job. And but I don't need to smell my colleagues to to do a very good job. <laughs> it, it's an interesting point. Just to top on that, it also what happens. Just like Pedro alluded to, it's not just I'm going to go out and I'm going to find the next thing, and I have a you know, I can work for anyone anywhere. It's really, if you really love your job, but you say, you know what, I don't want to live in this city or I don't want to live in this country and I want to go experience Malta or I want to head to Australia. Today, a company was probably going to turn around and say, okay, we have a global workforce. If you want to move there, not a problem. We don't have an office there, but again, if you have a computer and broadband, we can make this happen. The Morgan Stanley report that I mentioned also notes that workers of all stripes and, and income levels are now participating in the multi-earner economy. And you pointed this out, Gabriel, a little bit. You talked about fractional CFO. That My first experience with that was about four or five years ago. The report pointed out that finance and IT workers make up the highest percentage of any professions in, in the content creation platform. I'm going to out myself here. I happen to be one of those people who moved from a full-time in-office role to concurrent remote contract consulting creative roles like this one with global companies and often concurrently and as a lifelong traditional employee it's a whole new universe for me riddled with challenges that i didn't anticipate not just the payment aspect of it but invoicing and policies and technology policies and all of those things that i didn't think about before and pedro i'm pretty sure you know where i'm going with this what are the biggest issues that you're seeing across geographies and how are you trying to solve for them alongside payroll? Payroll is, is, is obviously, we, we spoke at length about it, but there are local legislation that may prevent uh, companies from certain activities or you yourself from, from others. But mostly, Given how digital a lot of these activities are, usually you have very little restrictions to to how how you do it. You mentioned invoicing, etc. So, but that's local taxation challenges. The digital world and the accessibility that we have today to to internet and to communication uh, globally enables you to, to to have very fulfilling experiences from not only a work uh, side but also things that you like doing gabriel mentioned creating music and selling and earning getting some earning from from that uh, i think other folks have other passions or even folks that like consulting on the side and i think that that will continue uh, i agree with gabriel that will not go back because what unlocked that was internet communication access and the globalization of, of not only the companies, but yourself as a, as a worker, which today, if you think of our working environment is the globe, the nuances between countries and et cetera, they, they are reduced to nothing. It's mostly around payroll and taxation, but as your contribution and what a company benefits from you uh, tends to be very limited in a lot of the roles. Obviously, others uh, others not so, but finance and IT clearly like it. You just need access to a desktop, internet, and, and off you go. Gabriel, 
That's exactly right. You know, it's really where, what, what value do you bring to an organization and which organization would, would have the most value, whether it's employing you full time or it's you know, part time. And a lot of those, these jobs, especially in finance and IT, again, you're looking at something that's very repeatable, that's very consistent around the world. There is no language barrier to putting together a spreadsheet. Right. There's no very little language barrier when you're talking about JavaScript or whatever the newest, latest and greatest technology or coding platform is. And then you get to, you know, you alluded to it a little bit, just expenses. And when you have expenses and how do you get that reimbursed, solving for that, I would put that probably five steps below an actual salary or whatever kind of employment payment that you're getting, but being able to expense um, and get reimbursed to a company is another complication that comes up, especially on a, on a global scale that corporates have to be able to deal with. And there are a number of solutions for it. I mean, the obvious one is an invoice or a, then you have your online platforms where you kind of digitally submit a receipt and then you've got card issuing, which is becoming increasingly popular for, especially for travel. You issue a virtual card to an employee, they use that card to purchase their flight or purchase their hotel because doing this centrally has become almost impossible at a global scale to do it efficiently. It's much easier for just to allow the individual to make an intelligent decision around where they're going to stay and which airline they're going to fly and when they're going to go. So yeah, virtual card issuing has become increasingly popular around the globe as well as a physical card, right? You don't, you've got to travel somewhere, you've got not just hotel and flight, you've got meals and you've got other purchases that you need to make on because you're working for another company. And so that becomes, that's the opposite side of the equation really when it comes to a salary payment is now I'm not just getting paid, but I have expenses that I need to get reimbursed for. And solving for that is becoming much easier, right? There was obviously a pain point that everybody had around the world, right? allocating money, understanding, you know, approval levels and all this stuff. And, and now there are a number of ways to solve for it. Part of the allure of the remote and or flexible workplace, if you're an employer, is that it gives them access to a global workforce, which offers a pretty extraordinary depth of talent. In your experience, Gabriel, what are some other reasons that companies do this? There are a number of them. I think it starts, of course, with efficiency and savings, right? If I can hire somebody locally at, call it $100 an hour, and I can hire that person to do the same job at $50 an hour, that sounds like a great deal, even if that person is located in Australia versus the U.S. Of course, you've got requirements around language, sometimes timing, you know, when are they available? But Beyond that, there is no real barrier. So the one advantage is just efficiency and cost savings. Another advantage is really if having a global workforce now expands the experiences that your company has internally when you're looking to make a decision, right? If everybody's located in one location, coming to the table with the same assumptions, and you're trying to do something new in a different country, those assumptions, even though you may not know you're making them are going to be very difficult to get over once you're in that country. And I've seen this a lot for in previous jobs that I've had where I want to expand to a new country. I want to try a new thing. I want to sell my product. And 
the assumption is really, well, the market's the same, the competitive landscape's the same, the consumer's the same than in my home country, and that's almost never the case. Having a global workforce all of a sudden gives you that resource internally where now you don't have to go out and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a consulting agency to tell you what an individual that has lived in that location possibly their entire lives can tell you across the table because they work for you. So that that's another huge advantage that a global workforce can bring to a company is really just expanding the, you can call it the mindset, you can call it whatever you want. It's really just expanding the, the amount of experiences that a company has collectively to make intelligent decisions going forwards. Pedro, I know that you probably have something to add to this, not just from remote's perspective in serving customers, but I know that remote also has been, in a sense, eating its own dog food, as it were, and using itself as a guinea pig for a lot of this. And so you've had some unique experiences. What would you add to that? At Remote, we have folks from 75 different countries. <laughs> the finance organization alone has folks from Seoul to San Francisco. So we went for the best talent that had a cultural fit and had the values alignment to remote more than wherever they were located in. And I think that is a big opportunity, especially in current, uh, in the current environment where you see companies reviewing their spend and doing the OPEX uh, reconsiderations. You have extremely good talent across the globe that potentially is not uh, as expensive as someone in NSF or other uh, high cost of living uh, regions. And just this opportunity, it's, it's, it's immense. So we, as you say, we, we take it to the extreme and we hire folks from very different places and we'll continue doing so. And uh, it's, it's, the, it's the biggest opportunity. It's why remote also managed to, to, to grow as fast is we had access to that talent pool. We have some of the best folks doing whatever we had to, to achieve and uh, working with us at the moment. So that's tremendous. And that's an opportunity like any other company. Has. Pedro, I've heard you touch on the idea recently that consumer payroll data is becoming increasingly relevant as it gives some pretty crucial insights to any banking, insurance, medical, et cetera, kind of data. Can you help contextualize that development for me? Because every time I hear consumer data, like I get a little, I, it makes me a little nervous. Are, are there any security or risk concerns here that you're concerned about? There are all these risks and, uh, and the security challenges. That's why the way we approach this challenge or the privilege of, of, of working with uh, a lot of individuals directly across the globe. We take it very, very serious and with the highest security and, uh, and, and privacy standards, but also present an opportunity for these individuals to, to have access to improved insurance, for example, because they work with a, with a group uh, versus individually. And with time, depending on each one's interests and, and ambitions, uh, they attain employee level access to different to different things like we spoke about payments but we also spoke about movement of capital and uh, having access to some of details that an employee may want to share may give them access to better credit reporting for example or access to to financing for a mortgage or a home loan 
And these can start unlocking because you can ha have a much more integrated view of uh, of what the at the employee level. But uh, as you say, like our origin is is is, is a GDPR compliant one. So privacy for us is paramount, and uh, as you mentioned, consumer consumer data must be taken uh, as it is with the, the highest uh, security and privacy standards as you can. Gabriel, just to go off of that, my reaction was really just on on the privacy, and I have the exact same reaction. Um, uh, the credit card goes missing, or your personal information, or somebody you know. Can apply for a loan. So ha actually having that security of, you know, the information is on the internet. How do you as a company make sure that you're storing that safely? It's not every week, but it's probably every month that somebody gets hacked somewhere to get that private information for an individual to either best case scenario, target them with some advertising and worst cases to try and steal their identity. So it's, it's a huge concern. And it's why Countries around the world and in larger organizations are looking at it in the best way to protect the individual. And that's one of those things where as you have an increasingly globalized, connected population, you got to protect everybody from the bad actors out there. It's, it's incredibly important. It's something that we take very seriously at Neom as well. So if I were if I were an employer right now, it seems like the warning signs would all be there for a really tight labor market getting all the tighter as people choose to focus on generating income from multiple streams of work and creative work and contract work that interests them instead of taking that single income job. And this is a question to both of you. How do you think, and you're from where you sit, that employers should be moving to compete in the post-pandemic world? <laughs> we live off that. So when we enable that, and that's uh, our, our mission. Obviously, with uh, when you remove barriers for global employment, you are giving a lot of opportunity to the employees to find more competitive offers, more competitive jobs not only from an economical perspective or financial perspective, but also from jobs that fulfill them and make them happier. And that is a, a big, big one. And I think increasingly, um, I don't know if it was the pandemic or if, if it was happening already, it's, it's hard to determine, but people are focusing a lot in finding jobs and things to do that fulfill them and make them happy. And I think that's the, the great challenge for companies is how can you employ someone that will have the highest impact that you need for that person to have, but also make sure that you give back in terms of fulfillment, uh, career progression, uh, excitement to work, ownership, uh, trust for them to, to, to proceed and uh, progress. And I think that's a huge, huge challenge. And you see a lot of companies being very strict with, uh, for example, going back to the office. It seems that within some of those companies didn't learn a lot over the last couple of years. And that's a, a huge opportunity for companies that are much more flexible or have a much more competitive mindset. Ariel, do you agree? Absolutely. You know, being in Silicon Valley for a while now, this all started with the tech company that they'd throw in a ping pong table or they'd offer free lunches, right? What you've got today is much more of a, all the intangibles that go to an individual's contribution, not just to the 
corporation or the company that they're working for, but the, to their own lives, and whether that's where they live or the hours that they need to work or the, the rewards they get, not just financial, but socially and, and, and other, you know, just, I feel like I'm accomplishing something at my work and I'm getting recognized for it. And so I think that the movement now at the corporate level is much more towards not only do we know we have to pay you what you deserve, but we need to also be respectful of time commitments. You know, there's 24 hours a day. You can be connected to the internet and actually working theoretically, physically, that's not really possible for any given time. And then you've got just other intangibles that where companies are now looking at this, you know, it's, it's not just health insurance and it's not just, well, how good is your dental plan? It's how many vacation days can you get or paid vacation days? Or how long is maternity leave, not just for the mother, but also for the father. And all of these things that come into generating a a comfortable lifestyle for the entire employee base, no matter where they're located. So yes, I think that the negotiating power that an individual has today is, is far greater than it was 20 years ago. And there are a lot of reasons behind that. And the companies that are fastest to adapt to it and understand that they need to be flexible in order to attract the the best workforce that they can are, are obviously the ones that are going to win. Being a power, we can talk about mish, vision, mission, all of that that we want. But at the end of it, there is only one reason people really work is to be paid. So in a nutshell, what should every organization know about how to leverage the power of payroll to attract and retain great talent? Pedro. Don't make people worry about it. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> I love <Yes>. that. <laughs> Perfect. Gabriel. Uh, yeah. From experience, when, when your company tells you, sorry, we're going to miss payroll this month, that's not a good feeling. So yeah, don't make them worry about it. Let, let that be known that like clockwork, you're going to get paid. And, you know, extending that out a little bit, it's not only are you going to get paid on the 15th or the 30th, but if on the seventh you need some money, you know, you've worked for seven days, request a payout. I think that the flexibility and the timing and the request and the power is going to be able to, you know, that is all just moving only in one direction, which is more options. So it's not just, you know, of course, please don't worry about it. And if you have to, you probably should find another job or another source of income. But really, it's how do you want to get paid? When do you want to get paid? What currency do you want to get paid in? What form do you want that? Do you want to have the ability to have half of your paycheck come directly to your bank account and half go into your 401k equivalent or your investment account? It's going to be, a. I think we're going to see a huge growth in the options of not just the currency you get paid in, whether it's dollars or your local currency, to much more of this is how I want it dispersed across these different things. And I think that companies like remote are, are looking at this and, and saying, okay, what's the next stage? What's the, what's coming three, four years down the road that at an individual level is going to be extraordinarily beneficial. I think you touched, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 different laws there, which, <laughs> which was, <laughs> which is something that it's, it's hard, but uh, fully agree the flexibility and really be there for the employees. It's, it's what is critical. Thank you, gentlemen. 
One thing I forgot to do before we started this episode, and Pedro, I'm going to start with you. If you could just tell me your name, your title, at where you work, and 25 words or less about what your company does. I am Pedro Barros. I'm VP of Finance at Remote. We enable companies to employ anyone, anywhere with ambition to remove any barriers for wealth, access to individuals, and for companies to access talent across the globe. Gabriel Grisham, VP Business Development at Neom. We move money globally for financial institutions, large corporates, for just about any use case, whether that's payroll, invoice payments, remittances, and trying to make that international money movement faster, easier, more efficient. That's our entire focus. That is all we have time for today. I want to say thank you so much to Pedro and Gabriel for joining us today to give us some insight and discuss what modern money movement is really all about. On this show, we're investigating the real driving forces that are modernizing money movement and what's building or blocking its momentum around the world. Make sure you're subscribed. Check us out at neom.com backslash forward exchanges or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Siobhan O'Neill-Schwenk, and this has been Forward Exchanges from Neom.